CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. I'm glad to have all of you with us for another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Lots to talk about in the aftermath of President Biden and Vice President Harris's visit to Georgia yesterday, including uh, Republican reaction to what the president had to say, both uh, from Georgia political leaders, Republican leaders, as well as uh, in Washington on the floor of the United States Senate. Uh, I've got a terrific panel of journalists to talk about that and more as we uh, get started today. Uh, Donna Lowry is uh, with us. She's the host of Lawmakers, which is now on the air at 7 o'clock every night on GPB TV. Donna, you're back in the thick of things reporting every night with your team on what's happening down at the legislature. How's it going so far? So far, so good. A great team. We had our first show on Monday, the first day of the legislative session. And of course, that went very quickly because everybody left for the game. So uh, so we're uh, and yesterday was recovery from the game and the celebration. So we'll be back on tonight at 7 p.m. alive to uh, talk about a lot of things. Uh, do you already know who you're going to have on the show tonight? Yeah, we do. We're going to talk Buckhead Cityhood. Of course, there's a hearing actually on that this week, uh, today. So we're going to have uh, Senator Kim Jackson on. Of course, uh, Senator Brandon Beach, who has uh, filed that legislation, uh, Representative Shea Roberts and Senator Randy Robertson. Who we're, So you can't talk about Buckhead Cityhood without talking about crime. So we're going to talk about crime. And, of course, Senator Robertson was in law enforcement for many, many years. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like a good show. Um, And obviously one of the big issues down at the Capitol this uh, session. Uh, We're also joined by Adam Van Brimmer. He's the editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and joins us from Savannah. Hey, uh, Adam, it's freezing up here in metro Atlanta. It was 27 degrees when I woke up this morning. I'm sure it's balmy and uh, lovely down there at Savannah right now. Well, I'm not working on the porch this morning, so that should tell you all you need to know. I can tell you that the temperature <laughs> here is currently, and it's going to get, it's going to take me a minute. Uh, it's in the 40s, I can tell you that. Uh, Apple is failing me. 44 degrees uh, in Savannah, Georgia right now. and uh, But it's clear skies and doesn't look like much wind, so it's probably tolerable. All right, so you may just get a chance once you're finished with your duties today to get over to the Tybee Island Beach, have a nice uh, oh, yeah. afternoon over there. We're joined yeah, also today out. by, exactly. yeah, good, good, Chuck Williams, uh, who joins us from WRBL TV in Columbus, uh, where he's a TV reporter. Uh, after many years as a legendary print reporter. <laughs> In Columbus, everybody down in Columbus knows who Chuck Williams is. So do many of the people like me from other parts of the state. Hi, Chuck. Hey, Bill. How are you doing up there? Great. Great. Thanks for being here. Um, Uh, Good to be here. Let's, by the way, Greg Bluestein will be joining us uh, at some point. uh, Right now, uh, there's an annual event taking place downtown called the Eggs and Issues Breakfast. Uh, Many of you who are longtime 
followers of politics in Georgia have heard of it before, I'm sure. Every year, the Georgia Chamber of Commerce sponsors, sponsors a massive breakfast, and the governor, the speaker of the House, the lieutenant governor are all given an opportunity to make remarks, and it's really the first time that we hear from them uh, in a large group setting publicly in terms of the agendas that they're putting together. And, and if you don't mind, everybody, although uh, you haven't had a chance to absorb this news yet. I'm sure we can all talk about it. Um, Governor Kemp Bluestein has already uh, posted uh, a news story about Governor Kemp's remarks. Let me read all of you just what he's uh, said, a, a portion of what he said, uh, and then we'll discuss it. <clears throat> Excuse me. This just happened within the last hour, if you're listening to the show live in the morning. Governor Brian Kemp plans to dip into the state's flush coffers in the thick of his re-election campaign to finance tax refunds for state taxpayers, boost funding for the tech college system, and explore deeper cuts to Georgia's income tax rate. Crediting, quote, conservative leadership for the state's fiscal standing, he unveiled a budget plan Wednesday that calls for $1.6 billion worth of refunds. And uh, Greg says that the governor's office told him that means that every Georgian who files their income taxes in April would receive a refund of $250 for single filers, up to $500 uh, for joint filers. Um, you know, Adam, we, we've known all along that there's a tremendous reserve uh, that the governor's been sitting on. And clearly, as he faces a challenge from David Perdue, uh, one of the things he'd like to do is use some of that money to uh, help Georgians get a little break on their taxes, give them back some money. Adam? Yes. Yes. The, the dean of our local delegation down here, Representative Ron Stevens, hinted at this last week in a, in a phone call that he did with me, a podcast interview where he talked about uh, some tax refunds, which was something that I think all of us going into the session were thinking, okay, well, they're definitely going to make good on the income tax cut that they promised a couple of years ago and then kind of got stalled out. And then, of course, you've got David Perdue is, is campaigning on the whole idea of eliminating the income tax. So you knew something was coming, and uh, certainly this this looks like uh, Kemp is, is getting out in front of it. And, uh, you know, anything he can do to, to kind of shore up certainly the Republican base, uh, the, the part of it that he can still – that will still relate to him, he's going to do. And I would think that some tax refunds and then – Further on into the session, an income tax cut. Uh, I I think we'd be silly not to think that both of those were going to happen. Um, Chuck, you know, both of us are real old timers when it comes to watching uh, the legislature. Donna has been watching it not quite as long as we have, but I'll bring her into this in, in a moment too. And Chuck, we remember a time when uh, when people like the Speaker of the House back in the days of say a Thomas B. Murphy when they were very reluctant to dip too far into reserves. And, and despite the fact the state has a huge reserve right now, it strikes me that it's not unfair to say Governor Kemp recognizes that an income tax uh, a rebate, essentially, of up to $500 per couple is a good way to encourage people to vote for you for re-election. You know, it, it definitely is. You know, you kind of laugh when you hear it because 
I mean, it's not even hidden. It's just it's thrown out there. Anybody who can see sees what it look what it what he what's happening here. And you know, there are a lot of reserves, but nobody's really sure what this is going to look like as we continue to crawl out of COVID. You know, where are you going to need that money? Are you going to need that money in education? Are you going to need that money in infrastructure and stuff like that? So you know, but. As a Georgian who can get a $250 check, I, I'll take my check. I mean, I think that's going to be the, the attitude of many Georgians. Hey, thanks for the check. I'll figure out something to do with it, like pay okay, bills great. or. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the, there is this money where, you know, the state has all of this money in the coffers. But even Speaker Ralston talking about the fact that so they want to do a whole lot with it. And how much will they actually be able to do? Will they be able to do this income tax cut and give money to the teachers, to uh, corrections of, of officers, as Lieutenant Governor has talked about, to uh, shore up mental health better, to shore up the... Um, the police departments and all of that. And, and at one point, the, the speaker actually said, you know, we've got to figure out how we're going to be able to do all that we want to do. So there will be a, you know, talk about all of this. But then do we end up um, going too far with this money from the pandemic? Because we're, you know, we're kind of flush with all of this money coming out of a, well, still dealing with a pandemic and, um, and to end up in um, worse shape down the road. I know Education, healthcare, and public safety are big issues, but how are they going to be, um, as they would say, good stewards with the tax dollars? Yeah, uh, Adam, uh, Donna mentions teacher raises. The governor's already said he wants to give teachers a $5,000 raise. So he's, he's handing out money uh, left and right. And, of course, Adam, we can already anticipate the response from Democrats, which will be if we have so much money available, and we do, um, and you're willing to get one, give $1.6 billion to give tax, uh, income tax refunds to uh, residents of the state. Why aren't you looking at expanding Medicaid to all who need it in the state, Adam? Yeah, certainly Medicaid expansion, uh, the fully funding the QBE formula. There's, there's a lot of options out there, but certainly Medicaid expansion with the current federal offer that's on the table. What is it? 90%. And then for a couple of years, we'll give you an extra five or 10%. So basically all the money uh, is matched from, from federal and go ahead and take advantage of it. But it really sets up what I think is going to be the, the quiet battle. I think we're going to have a lot of loud battles this session, whether it's over more voting reforms or constitutional carrier, where have you. But the real thing is those Medicaid waivers, because the state worked really, really hard and put a lot of political capital and, and, and quite a few taxpayer dollars to develop those waiver programs that basically the, the Biden administration has said, uh, you know, we're going to hold off on that. Why don't you reconsider doing Medicaid expansion? And that's an election year. So the Republicans, even the Republicans that I think might be interested in expanding Ma Medicaid are going to dig in their heels just because it's not politically convenient to do so. Uh, but that, that battle is going to go on. I think in the background, it'll probably explode to the front at some point. Of course, our senator here in Savannah, Ben Watson, was at the forefront of developing, helping develop those Medicaid waivers on the Senate side. So he's got some things to say. Uh, look for SavannahNow.com in the coming days. He's got a column coming. But, uh, yeah, you're right, Bill, that Medicaid expansion and Medicaid waivers are going to be a, a very 
uh, if not a hot topic, at least a topic that will bubble to the surface at some point. Uh, just to remind our listeners what those waivers were, number one, Kemp said he would. Kemp applied for a waiver while Trump was president, which would have allowed for a limited expansion of uh, Medicaid. Uh, I think it was like 50,000 Georgians who would be eligible, but it came with a work requirement. The Trump administration signaled yes, they liked that, and they would sign off on it. The second one was that uh, uh, the, the Kemp administration wanted to pull Georgia off the exchange, the website where people can shop uh, for, at, at for uh, various plans and then offer uh, people in Georgia an opportunity to go to private insurance websites in the state. That, too, has been put on hold by the Biden administration. So just to explain, remind people of what those waivers that now have very little chance, apparently, of getting uh, t- taken care of. Chuck, one last thing about this. We shouldn't forget that one of the first things David Perdue talked about when he announced he would, in fact, launch a campaign against Brian Kemp was he would eliminate the state income tax. And Brian Kemp's had to uh, contend with that and now finds uh, these opportunities to, to do it with the comments he made today. We know it, everybody I've talked to says it doesn't make sense to eliminate the state income tax. We aren't Florida. The, the system is not where it would work here. But, you know, I mean, but if you're just sitting there in a coffee shop or a bar somewhere else and somebody says, hey, let's eliminate the state excuse me, the state income tax sounds like a pretty good idea to you, particularly right now when you're getting ready to see how much you have paid over the course of 2021 in state income tax. But, I mean, I haven't talked to anybody who says it can realistically happen. Who thinks that they're going to be able to eliminate it, that there will not be the votes there to actually eliminate the tax? Yes, yes. Okay. Well, we're going to watch that develop. Um, Let's move on. Let's talk about President Biden's visit uh, to Atlanta yesterday. He really, Donna, set up the entire visit with the speech that he made on January 6th in Statuary Hall at the U.S. Capitol, in which for the first time he openly and harshly condemned the former president for uh, the big lie about Uh, The election being rigged, saying that uh, Trump was undermining our democracy, uh, causing people to mistrust uh, voting. So that was really the setup that allowed him to come yesterday to Atlanta and say in the strongest terms he has so far, he wants the Senate to find a way to pass, excuse me, two voting bills, two voting uh, reform bills measures uh, that have been stalled in the Senate, both passed by the House. And uh, Donna, he said that he was coming to the belly of the beast, Georgia, which he claims has the most restrictive new voting laws in the country. Donna? Yeah, it's interesting that, uh, you know, when a, when the president, when a president pounds on the podium that he's serious and then he shouts that he's tired of being quiet. Um, yeah, this is this is a big deal. And this is there is um, there is a feeling that this is a must do get at least one of these bills through, uh, if not um, both of them because of what it's uh, the message it's sending within its own party and people who are pretty uh, fed up that it hasn't gone this far. You know, we had people who didn't show up yesterday 
um, there, there wasn't the support there should have been for the president of the United States and the vice president of the United States coming into Georgia, given um, that it's a, a de they're Democrats and there weren't as many Democrats supporting it as should have been because they feel they've criticized them for the lack of progress in all of this. And I think the um, the feeling on his side, as the vice president said yesterday, is if something isn't passed, there's a form of normalcy that'll happen when it comes to elections. And, and that's the big fear that Nothing will be done, and it will. Things will stay the way they are. Nobody knows what's going to happen, uh, you know. After the Biden administration is gone, so there is a real feeling of urgency right now to get something done. Um, I, I, I want to talk about the pushback that he's getting from some, uh, especially minority voting rights groups, in just a minute. But first, let's listen to just a little bit of uh, what President Biden said yesterday. He was at a Morehouse and Clark Atlanta University to give what was about a 40-minute speech, and he was uh, very critical of uh, the uh, new election laws passed in Georgia last session. Let's listen to just a bit of that. The Georgia Republican Party, the state legislature, has now given itself the power to make it easier for partisan actors, their cronies, to remove local election officials. Think about that. What happened the last election? The former president and allies pursued, threatened, and intimidated state and local election officials. Election workers, ordinary citizens, were subject to death threats, menacing phone calls, people stalking them in their homes. So, um, Chuck, the uh, president chose to focus on one, one of the new uh, uh, laws that the legislature passed, which is this ability they now have to take over uh, local election boards when they ha say they have evidence that uh, the board is either corrupt or mis is, is not functioning uh, correctly. And that, Chuck, we should say, is... The one aspect of the new law, SB 202, that really has gained an awful lot of attention nationally. There are other things about absentee voting, how much time you have to get an absentee vote uh, 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 application up in, all that sort of thing. But this take potential for takeovers by the state has many people very troubled. You know, I saw that play out in real time in November. We had a referendum for a special purpose local option sales tax on the Muskogee County ballot. It was one issue, November, our election, you know, very low, very, very low turnout. But we have a director of elections down here, Nancy Bourne, who's acknowledged as one of the best in the state at what she does. And it looked at about nine o'clock that we were about to get results. We had an initial dump and it looked like we were about to get everything. And then all of a sudden it slowed down and she came out and said, listen, I'm protecting my board right now because the figures we turn into the state at 10 o'clock and I, and I may be just a tad off and I am, I'm sure she'll correct me, but that those figures have to be accurate. They've got to be accurate to protect our board based on the wording in the new law. So everything, we thought we were going to get results at 9.15. We got results at 10 o'clock on the button when she hit the button for the report to the state because she wanted to make sure that her board did not have to deal with the fact that they may have had 
you know, to change some of those numbers when they went back through. But it really was interesting because here you had a director of elections making sure she was taking care to put, not put her board in a compromised position. And that was, you know, that's been the case, but it really did play out, on, you know, November when we had that special election. It was really interesting to watch, and I think we're going to see a lot more of that, particularly out in places like Savannah's and Augusta's and Columbus's, where you have, where you have elect, election directors that are very conscious of the fact that the laws have changed and their boards are at risk. Adam? Yes, I think as we get further and further away from the passage of this bill last year, it's starting to come into focus what the really, um, the really the meat issues here are, right? Because everybody was originally worried about uh, the ID requirement. Well, you know, you had to put a driver's license number even to get an absentee ballot. So that's not a major change. You know, the whole passing out water and food in line, it sounds ridiculous. But again, it's, it's not a major change. But the major change is what the lasting change is, what the most dangerous change is that this law does, involves the election boards, both at the local level and at the state level, right? So you got two pieces of this. You got what Chuck just talked about, and that's the whole idea that if a local election board over a series of elections, I'm probably going to misquote it, I think it's two or three, where there's some suspicions the state can step in and, and, and remove some folks. And then there's the whole idea that with the state elections board, the Secretary of State is no longer part of that board. It, it, the head of that board is now somebody appointed by the legislature. So instead of somebody that's appointed by the voters, which is the Secretary of State, it's now somebody appointed by the legislature. So you can say, well, Secretary of State was a partisan because he's, you know, he runs a partisan, but it's a little bit different, <laughs> as we saw last year with the state legislature, in terms of, of what Brad Raffensperger did, which was, was stand up for the results and, and, and protect the integrity of the election versus what some in the state legislature were doing for political expediency. So over time, I think these two pieces that we just talked about that involve the state election board and the local election board are going to be are going to prove to be the most troubling parts of this law. And I think that that is really what President Biden was getting at in terms of uh, what he was saying yesterday. Now, do we need a federal law on top of that? That's that's a, probably another discussion. Yeah, Donna, uh, so let's take the next step on this. As you pointed out, there are voting rights groups that are very distressed that they don't think President Biden has done enough. And and as you said, they some of them boycotted his speech here yesterday. Um, uh, by the way, he, he referenced both Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff in his speech yesterday. But we should remember that Raphael Warnock was uh, critical of Democrats in the Senate and really critical, without naming him, of the president, too, when he said, if we can change the rules of the Senate to get a debt ceiling raised, we'd better be able to change the rules of the Senate to get new voting, a new Voting Protection Act, two bills in place as well. And there are many voting rights advocates who agree with that. Um, you have uh, black... Uh, voters matter, saying that the president has not uh, moved fast enough. Stacey Abrams herself did not appear with President Biden at any point during his visit yesterday. 
Yeah, she said she had another um, a, a conflict and that she couldn't make it. But certainly people with organizations that she founded, like the New Georgia Project, have been very vocal about the fact that they didn't think that it was appropriate for the president and the vice president to come to town to talk about this right now, that there's so much work to do. And and then given all of this, not only were they did they go to Ebenezer Baptist Church, but they want to uh, call one of these bills the John Lewis um, bill. Um, and after John Lewis from right here in Georgia. So uh, there's there's a lot at risk here. And then and the, and the, the fact that there is the focus on Georgia. Um, the, the other interesting thing that happened yesterday, of course, was the other dual press conferences on the other side by Governor Kemp and um, Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger talking about their the fact that they don't want this bill passed. And then the governor talked about the, the fact that he will defend SB 202, our most recent elections law um, bill, and everything that is, involves all of that. And But Raffensperger did lay out some things that he'd like to see done, including um, to, to ban non-citizens from voting elections and a nationwide voter ID requirements. Of course, Georgia has that nationwide ban on ballot harvesting and a federal law to shorten the blackout periods for election officials to conduct voter roll maintenance. Um, that's a big deal, of course, when that maintenance comes and people are knocked off the rolls. So there's, there's, uh, the, um, the other side used the, the president's visit as an opportunity to really dig in a little further about the, their issues when it comes to elections. Well, Donna, thank you for setting me up for playing just a little bit of what Governor Kemp did say in response to President Biden. Here it is. Georgia is ground zero for the Biden-Harris assault on election integrity, as well as attempts to federalize everything from how hardworking Georgians run their businesses to what our kids are taught in school to how we run elections. So, um, the, as Donna points out, Republicans pushing back very, very hard. Uh, we now have Butch Miller in the state Senate running for lieutenant governor, of course, who is calling for a constitutional amendment which would bar non-citizens from voting in Georgia elections. There's already a state law that prevents them, but he believes, he says, that a constitutional amendment would prevent anyone from coming along and trying to change that, as they've done in uh, New York. Um, but it's also obviously part of uh, an effort to curry favor among the, ba- the base. Um, Chuck, one last thing. we got to get to a break. But before we do, real quickly, um, the voting rights groups that were objecting to Biden's uh, not pushing hard enough now are also turning their attention to cinema and mansion, the two Democrats who have said they won't support overturning in any way the 60-vote threshold for passing uh, even a voting rights measure. Uh, So the problem is the president is in a tremendous bind. He simply, he can only do so much. Uh, I guess the issue is he kind of deferred this until he dealt with infrastructure, build back better. And a lot of the frustration is that he didn't showcase this as priority number one, I think it's safe to say. You know, and that probably is. And there's so much of the voting, there's so much of the voting rights movement that's coming out of Georgia and coming out 
of what Stacey Abrams has been doing for more than 10 years now. And I think that that's clear. And I, I think it was, I don't think anybody can underestimate the message that was sent yesterday where president and the vice president were in Atlanta, in Georgia, discussing voting rights. And the person who has been the cheerleader, the leader, and the most, the most, the strongest advocate for voting rights wasn't there with her. And she's right there in the neighborhood. It just, I mean, there's a message there. There's an incredibly strong message. And, and I think a lot of people got it yesterday. Well, um, we will be following this story, obviously, in the weeks ahead and talk a lot more about what's happening with both the John Lewis voting rights bill and uh, the more uh, the more robust uh, second uh, measure that would um, make really fundamental changes and federalize the changes in how we vote day to day. Let's do this. Let's get our first break of the show out of the way. We'll be back with more in a minute. Welcome back to Political Rewind. Chuck Williams of WRBL-TV in Columbus, Adam Van Brimmer, editorial page editor of Savannah Morning News, and our very own Donna Lowry, host of GPB's Lawmakers, join us. Uh, Greg Bluestein is, uh, we're still thinking he might uh, join us in a couple of minutes. He's been down talking to the governor, the Speaker of the House, and others at the uh, Georgia Chamber of Commerce Eggs and Issues Breakfast. And uh, Sam Bermestos tells me Greg just joined us. Hi, Greg. Hey, guys, my voice is a little raspier than usual because of Georgia, Indianapolis. <laughs> but uh, I just came out of <laughs> here at Fox Theater. Uh, we talked already about the fact that you filed a story uh, about Governor Kemp's uh, call to give income tax refunds, $1.6 billion worth of income tax refunds to Georgians, uh, $250 for an individual file filing and uh, $500 for a couple. Uh, this wouldn't be an election year, would it, Greg? Uh, it, would, it would be as April. Yeah, this would be, this, uh, the refunds would be hitting <laughs> no, no. accounts. <laughs> yeah, I was being sarcastic. Yeah, I was being sarcastic. Real quickly, what else? Yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, this is part of a, an entire strategy of his, of course, to, to fund priorities, but also to finance goodies for taxpayers to pad wallets um, in an election year. So uh, there's these refunds. Uh, there's enough money in the uh, being pumped into the state technical college system to uh, eliminate some fees that were imposed on, on some families from back in the Great Recession. Um, we've already talked about the $5,000 um, pay hikes for state employees, the $2,000 teacher pay raises um, that are coming. So, um, you know, he's dipping deep into the $2.2 billion um, surplus that Georgia has generated over the last uh, year. Um, yeah, thank you, by the way. It's $5,000 for state employees, 2000 for teachers. I had said 5000 for teachers, but uh, he's already given them a number of raises. So thank you for uh, reminding me that I got that wrong a couple minutes ago. Um, um, one other quick thing. I, Adam Van Brimmer has an, uh, an, edit, an, an op-ed, an, an essay, uh, an opinion piece in the Savannah Morning News that I, I saw the other day, essentially starting by saying, in terms of the General Assembly, let the foolishness 
begin? And Adam, in a minute, I'll ask you about what some of the things you think are most going to uh, rise to the level of foolishness in the session. But Greg, did Speaker Ralston uh, say anything in his remarks today that might have given comfort to people who are a little concerned that uh, because of the elections, we could be seeing a, a, a legislative session driven by hot button issues that really uh, don't have a whole lot to do with how the state runs. Yeah, exactly. He reminded the audience essentially that, you know, it's an election year. He said, I've heard there might be some candidates running for office, but that he's not going to let uh, their back and forth get in the way of what he considers good conservative policy. And he singled out two things. He singled out um, uh, tax plans. This wasn't the governor, but he signaled out tax plans that he thinks go way too far. Uh, and to me, he was he was talking about the, the proposals to eliminate Georgia's state income tax entirely, which is $14 billion worth of revenue. Um, he said he won't, he won't uh, pursue those policies that, that jeopardize the state's AAA bond rating. And he talked about um, uh, election laws. He, he said that uh, he took aim at President Biden's appearance yesterday, his event yesterday, um, saying that he was shocked that President Biden was, in his view, equating people who don't stand with him as, equating, as, as standing with Jefferson Davis. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's really yeah, interesting. Yeah, pretty strong comments. Yeah, yeah. Um, Adam, give us a little sense of what, when you talked about the foolishness that you anticipate. What are you worried about with this session? Well, obviously, it's as you mentioned, it's an election year. And I think that when you talk about any election year, you're going to see a lot of legislation that is going to help or is seen as going to help certain candidates with the base. And, and it's certainly from talking to some folks and, and just seeing what has come out from between what, what we learned here in Savannah and what Greg and his colleagues have, have talked about in the AJC, there's just a slew of, of hot button issues, whether it's the whole idea of constitutional carry, which is nothing new at the state house. Uh, in fact, one of our local representatives, uh, uh, Colonel Bill Hitchens chaired the committee that for years kind of held that up in committee and now, all of a sudden, it has Brian Kemp's seal of approval. As we saw, what was it last week at the gun at the gun store, where he, he said that he would support that measure? Uh, I don't think it's any coincidence that that David Perdue has said that he is in favor of that. So all of a sudden, it comes to the forefront with Kemp. Obviously, voting reform. We've seen, gee whiz. I mean, I think you mentioned it. You mentioned it earlier, Bill. The whole idea of, of making it part of the Constitution that only citizens can vote. I, guess I kind of thought that that was assumed. That seems like a, a solution in search of a problem. Uh, education, we've got the CRT, which isn't taught in our schools, is a topic. Uh, banning of, of certain books, removing obscene books from our school libraries is, is all of a sudden a topic. It's, it's all this red meat for, for largely for the Republican base. As, as we've seen this schism, this divisiveness in the Republican Party divided down the middle, and it's going to be on full display here with the Purdue versus Kemp is the legislature is, is going to deal with all of these issues and, and bring them up and make them in the headlines every single day. You know, sorry, Greg, <laughs> you had a long session ahead of you. And it, it really is a distraction from some of the other business the state needs to do, whether it's the budget, whether it's, you know, getting these teacher raises, whether it's dealing with mental health, whether it's dealing with with healthcare in the state. And I'm not just talking about Medicaid, Medicaid expansion. I'm talking about, you know, rural hospitals, getting more 
physicians that are going to serve underserved areas. There's just there's so many things. Everybody thinks the state is doing great, and, and granted, the state is, is positioned pretty well. But there's a lot of problems that they should be addressing, and granted, they may be addressing them in the background. But in the meantime, all of these these topics and these issues that are just meant to grab the the average Joe, I'm making the air quotes when I say the average Joe, and get them fired up because they, they read it in the newspaper or saw it on television is what's going to drive the, the primary and then the general election. And unfortunately, all of us are probably going to suffer because of it. Chuck? You know, playing off what Adam just said and the culturally the cultural issues, for lack of a better term, way down here on the Chattahoochee, we're getting them in stereo because constitutional carry is not only in the Georgia General Assembly, it's in the Alabama legislature too. So we've got, I mean, Alabama, it's similar, very similar bills that would allow concealed carry without a permit. And one of the interesting things about the, I talked to Russell County Sheriff over in Alabama, Heath Taylor yesterday and last year to get a gun permit in Alabama they denied 6,000 people in the state of Alabama um, the right to get a gun because they either had criminal histories mental health issues and all of that if this passes in Alabama those 6,000 people are eligible to carry tomorrow and he's saying it should be a great public safety concern to the citizens of Alabama. And I think you're going to see some of that same reporting in Georgia. How many people have been denied gun permits in our state? And are these people now eligible to carry guns? I mean, you know, it's a, the constitutional carry is clearly a cultural issue, but it's also with the crime rates that we're dealing with in Columbus. And I know, Adam, y'all are dealing with it up in Savannah, too, murders and stuff. I mean, there are people that are concerned this is, this is going to create a bigger problem of what's already a big problem. Donna? Yeah, I I agree with uh, everybody. Everybody has spoken that um, some of these distractions are uh, going to take away from some of the things that people really do care about. Uh, and and as Chuck mentioned, crime is one of the big ones. And if there is not enough focus on some of the issues that have um, brought us to the point of you know Buckhead being the uh, Buckhead cityhood movement making that a priority because they are claiming that crime is the it is the main issue when. Crime is a problem throughout the state. I think everybody is worried about it. Democrats, Republicans, whether or not they can come to some compromise on some things that will really make a difference is going to be the key. Um, and, of course, uh, we talked about it earlier, the, the Medicaid expansion, again, uh, for in terms of something being done in that and that area is going to be big for the Democrats. And whether or not they'll get anything um, this session will be interesting to see. All right, let's get to our final break of the show. More when we come back on Political Rewind. Donna Lowry, Donna Lowry, Greg Bluestein, Chuck Williams, Adam, Adam Van Brimmer, our panelist of jur- journalists, a panel of journalists for uh, today's political rewind. Hey, quick announcement, though, uh, before we go back to our conversation. I'm really, really excited, and I know that uh, Natalie uh, Mendenhall, Sam Burmistaz, Jesse Neiswanger, they joined me in this. We're really excited to tell you that starting today, 
We have launched a brand new Political Rewind newsletter. I'll be sending it out once a week, every Wednesday, uh, during this election year and beyond, for all we know, sort of giving you a look at the highlights of what's happening politically in the state of Georgia, the big news, uh, but also maybe some smaller stories that you might have missed. And yes, every now and then, maybe there are a few humorous things that are actually happening in politics. We could all use an opportunity to smile every now and then about uh, politics. So that newsletter is available starting today. Um, The very easiest way for you to get to it, if you're on Twitter, uh, you can go to uh, at politicsgpb. Natalie was going to put up a link uh, to applying there, how you can apply there. And also, I've put up a link on my personal uh, Twitter, which is at Nigut, N-I-G-U-T-B. Uh, you can uh, find uh, the link there. And it'll also be up on our social media pages, our website. So you'll you'll be able to find a way to uh, sign up for the newsletter almost anywhere you look, I think, online that relates to our show. So we're looking forward to that. All right, let's get to uh, some other uh, news. Uh, uh, Greg, since you joined us late, let me go to you on this first. Interesting development in uh, Democratic uh, uh, politics this week. Charlie Bailey was uh, going to run, who came within, what, 100,000 votes of beating Chris Carr for attorney general uh, uh, in the last election cycle, was going to run against him again this time, or hope to win the Democratic nomination to do that. Jen Jordan came along and complicated his path to the nomination. She's a very, very popular Democrat in Georgia. And so now Bailey has announced he, in fact, is going to change from the AG's race to running for lieutenant governor, which, of course, is going to be an open seat since Jeff Duncan isn't running again. Greg, I want to get your thoughts, and then Chuck Williams on this, because uh, Chuck uh, interviewed uh, uh, him uh, just the other day. But, Greg, you go first on this. Yeah, I talked to Charlie, when was it, Friday, about this, um, about his plans. And really, what, what here's my read on it. Um, he was looking like he was going to lose to Jen Jordan. She has very powerful groups behind her, national groups, local groups. She has name recognition, and she's raised more than a million dollars already. But at the same time, senior Democratic leaders here in Georgia um, still see Charlie Bailey as a very competent, very formidable uh, candidate if he runs for the right office. Lieutenant Governor is wide open. There is no clear frontrunner. There's about four or five um, uh, uh, formidable, credible candidates in that race, but there's no one who's really wowed. Um, wow, Democratic leaders with fundraising or with messaging or with any of those other intangibles quite yet. So it's a clear field. And DuBose Porter, the former party chair, was one of the people who called up Charlie Bailey and said uh, he wanted him to switch. Charlie, Charlie thought about it for a few days and, and said, you know, he told me at least the more he thought about it, the more it made sense to him. Um, and also, you know, from the, from the overall party perspective, um, you know, channeling, uh, you know, party leaders right now, um, what, what do we know will be a big argument that will be made against Democrats if they want to, quote-unquote, defund the police, that they're soft on crime? If you have someone like Charlie Bailey on the ticket who can say he was an anti-gang prosecutor um, who's, who's, who's pushing for more law enforcement resources and, and an anti-gang unit in the state attorney general's office, it, it becomes a sort of a counter-argument 
that Stacey Abrams or whoever else is on the ticket can kind of use to push back. That hey, this guy, this, this former uh, county prosecutor, is on our team as well. Chuck, I I interviewed Charlie yesterday, Greg. Too, uh, I did my podcast with him, talked to him for about forty five minutes, and podcast is available at wrbl.com. But it was really interesting. Charlie's a local story for us. Most people don't realize he's from Harris County. Uh, I joked with him yesterday that he may be the only Democrat in all of Harris County. Um, it's a very conservative northern suburb of Columbus. Um, Senator Robertson that uh, Donald was talking about earlier is the state senator from that area. But in talking to Charlie, he's a seventh-generation Harris County native, 39 years old. He does, because of his Fulton County DA's, work as an anti-gang prosecutor. He does have an appeal, and he, he was really interesting yesterday. He said not only was it uh, Dubose Porter, he said his former boss, his first job out of law school, which was Governor Barnes's firm. Governor Barnes was one of the people that reached out to him. Hank Johnson was one of the people that reached out to him. So he said it was, an, it, it was a wide group of people who were saying, you ought to consider this. And he said the more he looked at it, the more, just like you said, Greg, the more it made sense to him. And, you know, it's a, what are there, four, three, four, five Democrats in there right now? Um, Charlie got the second most votes of any Democrat in 2018, only behind Stacey Abrams. So, I mean, he's clearly got an ability to get votes. So it's going to be interesting to watch. I think, I mean, Greg did a great job breaking that story and, you know, allowed us to kind of, with, after it was, after it broke, we were able to piggyback on it with the podcast. But it's interesting. You know, Donna, I'm interested in the Charlie Bailey story and in and what um, uh, Chuck just said about him, that he got the second most votes of any Democrat in 2018, because I have to be honest I know very little about Charlie Bailey, and I suspect there are a great many uh, Georgians out there who are not terribly familiar with that name either. And yet he found a way to attract enough votes to make the race against Chris Carr closer than you would think it ought to have been, given uh, the Republicans did well across the state ticket. Yeah. And, you know, I, it, it's hard not to think that he did get do well based on the coattails of Stacey Abrams. You know, you've got to say that there's some of that had, you know, there was some of that there. Um, but I think this this change that he's made right at, at this time, the announcement has, is going to make people start looking at him. Because I, I, I agree with you, um, Bill, that it would be, you'd be hard pressed for anybody to for a lot of people to know exactly who he is. But the, the fact that he's decided to jump into this race and leave the other one is giving him a lot of publicity. And I'll be honest, I started looking into him a lot more in the last few days after this announcement. Um, I think it was smart to, to, um, to recognize that the people were what people were telling him, that going against uh, Senator Jen Jordan was probably um, going to make things more difficult for him. She's... she's um, She's very powerful. She's got, you know, a lot of heavy base, and she's been um, very popular. So, I, but I think the way this announcement happened um, will kind of help him, where people will start looking into who he is and what he's all about. 
Adam, without regard to just that, that race, the lieutenant governor's race, and, in, and, and also, of course, the AG's race, I think this is also a sign, a bigger sign, which is Democrats are making it clear that a state that has been dominated by Republican constitutional officers for two decades now, they are going to be competitive in as many state races as they can. Yeah, they certainly are, are starting to line people up. It makes you wonder when John Barrow is going to pop his head back up out of the hole and 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 run for something. I mean, he ran for Secretary of State and almost won a couple of years ago, and and then he was he was aiming for the Georgia Supreme Court at one point. That's uh, former Representative Barrow. But you you look at with with Abrams at the top of the ticket, and with people voting down ticket as we saw in, in 2020, just. When you get a big turnout in Georgia, you're going to see a lot of down-ticket voting. So for the Democrats, just to kind of get some people that names might be recognizable is certainly going to help them. And, you know, whether that's that's Jen Jordan, uh, Charlie Bailey, Stacey Abrams, Lester Jackson from here in Savannah is running for labor commissioner. They're going to have them up and down. Of course, the agricultural commissioner, unless Gary Black, between now and March, changes his tune, that's going to be an open seat. So, yes, the, the Democrats are going to try to get every, everything they can, uh, take advantage of everything they can to take advantage of having Stacey Abrams at the top of the ticket, strong Democratic turnout, and then hope to see what they saw in, in 2020 with in the statewide races for senator and for president. Hey, uh, uh, Greg and Chuck, uh, we're, we're out, uh, almost out of time, but without regard to that, too, it is the Republicans are still – you know, they have uh, have such strength in those constitutional offices. Um, yeah. Democrats have got their work cut out for them, Greg. Yeah, I mean, look no further than last year's runoff when U.S. senators, you know, the U.S. Senate races slipped, but Bubba McDonald easily won um, another term as public service commissioner. He was the sort of forgotten candidate because one of the reasons why is because Republicans tend to vote down the ballot uh, more regularly than Democrats do. So a lot of Democrats might vote for um, you know, the top of the ticket candidates, but then lose, lose, lose of interest down the ballot. And that's, that's what Democrats are going to push um, to, to counteract this year is, is Stacey Abrams will make the argument out there to voters that, hey, she also needs a strong attorney general, lieutenant governor, secretary of state, if she wins election to be able to enact policies that the Democrats are voting for. Chuck, give us uh, uh, about 30 seconds on your, of your take on that. You know, I agree with what Greg just said. I think I think the Democrats are clearly trying to line up their best team to go after to go after these constitutional offices that the Republicans have had a stranglehold on. And you're going to see what it looks like. I mean, it's going to be quite interesting. Welcome to election year, Bill. Yeah. Chuck Williams, Adam Van Brimmer, Donna Lowry, uh, Greg Bluestein. Uh, we're out of time. You know what, Greg? We're not quite out of time. Greg, your Bulldogs, your Bulldogs, you must have had a great, great night in Indianapolis. What a night. It was about two degrees, but it was worth it. I was on the field. Um, it was an incredible <laughs> night. And, uh, you know, not in my lifetime has this happened. So now it has. I got Greg Bustine held up a sign that said it's been zero years since Georgia last won a national championship, <laughs> which I thought was was a really, really fun sign. That's it uh, for us. 
today on Political Rewind. Thank you all so much for being with us. Uh, Donna Lowry will be with you at Lawmakers on GPB tonight at 7. Watch her. Uh, and we'll be back again tomorrow with another show. In the meantime, I'm Bill Nugget. Take care. Stay healthy. Wear your mask. And please get a booster shot if you haven't already had one. See you tomorrow.